Hello, survivalists, and welcome to another week of The Crux. I am your lovely host, Tessa King, and as always, I am joined by my sister and lovely co-host, Casey McIntosh. I'm so glad that we're both so lovely. We are so lovely. I'm <laughs> glad that you're acknowledging this, finally. I, I like that you preface yourself as lovely, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm about self-love here. Okay, I like it. I like it. You guys should all love yourselves. And if you love us, leave a lovely review on Apple Podcasts for us. Yeah, you should do that. Yeah, it only helps us and it helps you get more content. So it's a win-win, honestly. This week, we'll be talking about Ernest Shackleton, who was a well-known English explorer who infamously got trapped in Antarctica on an expedition for two years. So, Casey, have you heard of this guy before, Ernest, Ernie? Yes, I've heard of Ernie, Ernie S. before, and I've always wanted to read the book. What's the book called? Well, there are a few. What's that I, I one? think it's just called The Endurance, but there are oh. many books and several movies and documentaries. The main documentary I watched uh, is narrated by Liam Neeson. And it's available for free on YouTube. Clearly it's good if he's if he's the one that's... Yeah. He's got a very nice timber to his voice. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way of describing it. Thank you. As mentioned before, Ernest Shackleton, Ernie, was an explorer. <laughs> he had gained fame and a knighthood from his expeditions. He had started as an adventurer at a young age... At 16, he worked as a cabin boy. By 24, he was certified as a master in the Merchant Marine Service. Can I pause you for just a second and ask you, what year are we talking here? Uh, Well, the year that this takes place, they head out, I believe, in 1914. Yes. Okay. But we'll get back to that. Uh, He had attempted, prior to our story, to reach the South Pole on two occasions and twice had come back defeated. The first guide at the South Pole was Roald Admison, and so they were famous rivals. So he was not able to be the first to the South Pole, but he did have a goal to get a small crew across the Antarctic continent for the first time. So across the continent itself is about 1,500 miles. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it's a big deal. Shackleton advertised the expedition As such, get ready. Quote, men wanted, period, for hazardous journey, period, small wages, period, bitter cold, (laughs) long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. (laughs) Sign me up. Yeah. Honor and recognition in case of success. So, I mean, like, a little bit of good. You're going to be a celebrity if you come back alive. That's pretty much what that means. I just really appreciate that every bit of that was clear and concise. And honest. Yeah, it was honest. It wasn't sugar-coated, that's for sure. He was sure earnest about it. (laughs) (laughs) I love your name puns. Yeah, we got to do it every time. (laughs) What's crazy about this ad is that 5,000 men responded to it. What? They really wanted to be a part of this venture, so... That's cool, I guess. Before you go on, I just want everyone to think about the fact that down jackets probably were not actually being used at that point. 
Yeah, that's true. Burr. Burr. They planned this trip for seven months, which is actually not that much for a venture this big for 1,500 miles. And that's, you know, just across the continent. It doesn't include the sailing to get to the continent. Or to get back. Exactly. He set out in August of 1914 with his crew of 27 men. He also had 69 Canadian sled dogs along. So they're there to haul gear and whatnot. Think about how much food you have to have to feed that many dogs. And really what all this is costing Mm -hmm. for them just to, we're going to go check out Antarctica, guys. And by the way, this is right when World War I was breaking out initially. How did he have all the money for all of this stuff? The big thing is that they had a guy who was there to document everything, take photos, and that's how they were funding the trip was through their research and this man who was going to take pictures and film their efforts. So they were paid in advance, basically? I don't think so, but that's essentially, that's the only way I heard about how this was funded is from getting information, mostly from having this wildlife footage and... I don't know. It's exploration. It's totally different now. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing left to explore is the jungle. And the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) It's true. That's a huge area of uncharted territory. That's a huge no thanks for me. Yeah, agreed. Start down there. Yeah. (laughs) And cold. (laughs) And there are scary things. Yeah. So they're leaving as the war is breaking out. Shackleton, as they're leaving offered his ship and his crew to the war effort but he was given the go-ahead to proceed with his mission so they sailed on the boat was called the endurance that was for his family motto the motto was by endurance we conquer Hmm, i like it Mm -hmm. their approach of this expedition was from the west side of the wendell sea this was an area where there were whalers They waited at this location. Uh, The island itself was called South Georgia, not to be mistaken for the state Georgia. (laughs) Georgia's much warmer. Yeah, so they set out in August, and they waited in the location on southern Georgia until November. They had to hope that the icy conditions would improve in the ocean. By December, the crew was forced to move on if they were going to take advantage of the Antarctic summer. Yeah, because you got to get out of there in in time before everything starts freezing up again. Yeah. On the third day of their journey, they ran into what is known as pack ice. So pack ice is defined by Google Dictionary as an expanse of large pieces of floating ice driven together into a nearly continuous mass as occurs in polar seas. This pack ice went as far as the eye could see, all the way towards the horizon. It was broken by small gaps of water known as leads. So they're on the endurance. They're trying to follow the leads, these gaps of water in between the pack ice. And that's the problem that they have to conquer is going through the ocean through the constantly shifting leads because the ice is moving. That sounds extremely tedious. Yes. And slow. Well, part of it was kind of fun for the men because they would drive the ship full speed 
through portions of pack ice. So it was soft enough where it would break apart as they went through. But some days they couldn't go very far because of the ice. And other days they found long stretches of open water. When they were about 100 miles from the continent of Antarctica, they ran into heavy ice, which slowed the ship to a crawl. They couldn't push through, and overnight the ice froze solid with no visible water around them. Hmm. Great. Sounds ominous. Sounds so fun. (laughs) (laughs) The weather had dramatically changed from 20 degrees above zero to 20 degrees below. They had no explosives to blast their way out. They just had picks and shovels. What they do is get out of the boat, and they went at the ice for 48 hours. But the thing is, like, even if you free the boat from the ice, then they're beyond that ice is more ice and more ice and more ice. And I suppose they were just thinking that's the only way to progress. Ice, suppose. <laughs> You're picking things up. <laughs> and this documentary is interesting anyway, just because it shows all those all these men going at the ice with all these pickaxes. After those two days, it became very apparent that the ice was going to be unworkable. So they're like, this is... No, a no-go. No. Yeah. They would be trapped in that ice for seven months. Well, another thing is they probably have no real knowledge about where they are. Yeah, it's an expedition. They don't know. That's the whole point is to figure it out, right? Hopefully some people can read the stars and do some navigation. But I guess in terms of knowing how far it is to get to their destination they were planning on going to, mm-hmm. probably no way of knowing. Yeah. Shackleton was a good leader. He was calm and initially showed no signs of distress. He simply explained to them that they would have to winter in the packed ice. The pack ice had trapped them, but the whole conglomeration of ice was moving. So as they're trapped in the ice, their ship is actually moving in the ocean. Were they able to detect that? Were they able to feel that? I think they knew. I think that they knew anyway just because they're still in the ocean. They hadn't even made it to Antarctica yet. I think that's the worst part about all of this. They didn't even get to like start their expedition. Uh, And as you can imagine, there's a lot of tension between the crew, especially as far as social class. And Shackleton tried to get ahead of this to keep morale up. He tried to get everybody doing the same job. So everyone, including himself, would work together, even scrubbing the deck, like Mm -hmm. getting on their hands and knees. And he would try to do that to bring everyone together on the same level. Mm -hmm. He also let them know that he thought that the men were more important than the object of the expedition. So at the end of the day, he was like, listen, you guys making it out of here, that's way more important to me. Having dogs on the boat helped the man, men stay sane. They could help with a lot of the work, carrying loads, and they provided the source of entertainment. They would, you know, do dog sledding, and you should watch the documentary. <laughs> uh, they passed the time by playing soccer with each other on the ice. They would put on plays together, and they have pictures of these guys in wigs and dresses. <laughs> <laughs> do they have alcohol? I hope so. <laughs> I would guess yes, because it wouldn't go bad. But you would think you would run out of it a lot sooner yeah, than you wanted absolutely. to. Absolutely. They also put on gramophone concerts. So they figured out things to do while they're stuck there. They're not really desperate. I don't think they really think of it as survival, just passing time until they can leave again. Mm-hmm. By May, which was three months in, 
The days were as short as the night. The ice was becoming more densely packed, and large pieces threatened to engulf the whole ship. And I like to think of this more like tectonic, tectonic plates, you know, when things kind of shift on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening to this boat. So the timbers of the ship would crack and moan against the ice, and the ice had pushed itself up the side of the ship. In these pictures, the ice is as tall as the ship, so it's kind of squishing it and also pushing it to one side. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a disaster. Right. And so all this pressure, and you can hear the boat creaking around you as you're staying in it, and yikes. And the men man pumps three days and nights to um, get water out of the boat because in October, the ice opened planks on the starboard side. So they're trying to bail water out of the boat. But at the end of the month, Shackleton gave the order to abandon the ship. It was a no-go. It was going to... The boat was going to sink once the ice totally melted. And, you know, the ice is coming in from both sides, so... It's going to crush them? It's going to crush the boat, yeah. They filled sleds with as much stores as possible. They only had a fraction of the original provisions... And they also brought three of the ship's lifeboats off of the boat. They had some for sleeping bags, but some of them were wool. They had a drawing to see who would get them, but the drawing was rigged, and the men knew it was rigged because the top officers all drew to have the wool sleeping bags, while the men below got the better provisions, which is kind of nice. So Hmm. it's like Shackleton and the captain, all these people up top are taking the gear that kind of stinks it was reverse engineered yeah Yeah. reverse rigged now that the men had deserted ship shackleton decided it was time to abandon the mission and attempt a journey home the driving force for shackleton of course was keeping the men alive the nearest land was over 300 miles to the west the men were allowed to carry two pounds of personal possessions each. So is there thought that if they get to water, they'll get in these little lifeboats? I think, yeah, but they have to carry the lifeboats. That is crazy. Across the ice. Can you imagine, like, oh, we'll just get in the boat, and we'll just we'll just push it along for how many ever miles? Yeah, and it's not just, like, flat ice. It's all these conglomerations. That's crazy. They couldn't have any extra mouths to feed and they had three puppies who had been born on the expedition and a cat and a they cat? had cat yeah the carpenter on the ship had a cat named mrs chippy <laughs> <laughs> oh mrs chippy yeah but they needed they shot them oh. because they didn't want to feed them the other dogs they kept but i think it's because they could do work mm-hmm. they needed to get to land, they needed to march five to seven miles a day. He thought it would be better for the men to be proactive in search of land rather to sit and wait, and that's why he decided to do this in the first place. But within three days of this march, they could still see the ship. Well, there's that's, nothing out there to see. You know, I guess it's flat. Yeah, but I think really what this means as far as the documentary meant is that they were going so, so slow. Yeah. Just with all of this gear. Mm-hmm. And so they were 
pretty disheartened by this and decided to beg the march for now. As the days progressed, they watched the ship collapse in the ice. So they were just like on the ice yeah. further away, just camping yeah. out. Yeah. And by the time they begged the march, they pretty much stayed put and they went back and salvaged what they could from the deck and hauled it back to camp. So as things are breaking down, they're going back and trying to scavenge what they can. By November, on the 21st, the broken ship sank beneath ice. The drift of the ice had carried the men about 1,300 miles. They were hoping that the drift would help them get to land. They used timbers that had been salvaged from the ship for an ocean camp. They also had converted part of the ship's boiler room into a stove, which was powered by penguin skin and seal blubber. At this point in time, hunting for penguins and seals was the main activity for the men. But at least they had a source of food. Yeah. And a means of cooking food so they could have warm meals. And they had a way, probably, of boiling water. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what water they were drinking. Yeah, they must have warmed it up with a... Because, like I said, it was from the boiler. They turned it into a stove, so... Well, I was just thinking that they're surrounded by salt water, so it was their water source. Yeah, they must have been boiling it. But even if you boil it at that point, there's still salt in it, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what their means were. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Ask Liam Neeson. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll do that next time I see him. (laughs) He'll know. (laughs) Shackleton decides to make a second attempt at a march. The men have little hope and rescue if they stay put. These lifeboats weighed more than a ton apiece. What? Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, so that's why they were probably going so slow initially. And on this pack ice, or I guess it's not pack ice anymore, it's just a big hunk. At times, they were up to their knees in snow. So it wasn't just like an easy walk on some frozen ground. The men also had wanted to stockpile sea, uh, seal and penguin meat in case they found themselves stuck for another winter on the ice. But Shackleton refused because he insisted that he would get off the ice before then, and he didn't want extra things to carry. This created a little bit of a rift between the men is because they disagreed. <laughs> and as time wore on, it became more difficult to find game. And they had no food for the dogs. So as they go along, they have to shoot some of the dog teams. And within a matter of weeks, they had to kill all of the dogs. They ended up eating a few of the packs. I know. It's horrible. Yeah, 69 dogs. It's a lot. How many men are there? 27. Okay. As they drifted to the edge of the pack, the ice began to disintegrate. The swell of the ocean could be felt through the ice. And so they had to make a choice to get into their lifeboats and began to search for land. Any land, anything. And they had no idea where they were. The closest islands were 100 miles to the north. Three lifeboats carried all of the men. And they had no idea how long they'd be in the water. The first day was the most dangerous of the entire expedition. They would have to paddle quickly to stay in the leads, so those patches of open water. 
because there were still large areas of pack ice that threatened to crash together and crush those lifeboats. Each night, they would pull the boats out of the water and sleep on ice. On one particular night, the ice split as the men were sleeping, and one man fell in, sleeping bag and all. That is a, a rude awakening, if I've ever heard of <laughs> yes. one. They pulled him from the water, and they said, are you all right? And the man said, yes, I'm all right. My only regret is that my tobacco is down there in the drift. <laughs> <laughs> my only regret would be that everything was wet. I know. <laughs> like my sleeping bag. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, in, in Arctic water, no big deal. But uh, yeah, it would rain and snow relentlessly, and it would blot out the night sky. The men could not see the stars at night. And as they slept, they could hear killer whales in the water. Mm. Like the sound that they said it was like escaping steam. I don't think killer whales would really care about these guys, though, do you? No, but it's got to be eerie in a pitch black night. <laughs> well, I guess the other thing is you're sleeping kind of exposed on the ice. And what mm-hmm. if this killer whale like happens to venture past your campsite? Well, and you already have to worry about the ice breaking up below you and falling into water yeah, that's <laughs> as what I you mean. sleep. Yeah. Eventually, they could find no more ice and had to spend days and nights in the lifeboats. Many of the crew were suffering from dysentery. That would be terrible. Yeah. All of this sounds very, very terrible. After seven straight days at sea, the men finally come across land. It's called Elephant Island. They have been five months on drifting ice, and it has been a year and four months since they had touched land. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? Everybody cried. <laughs> Tears of joy. <laughs> the men were ecstatic. Uh, well, they were really excited to be on land. Um, they were walking around like they were drunk and burying their faces into the stone. Some of the men were acting crazy. There's one man who's documented who got off the lifeboat with an axe and kept, killed 10 seals in a row. <laughs> Just because they were there and they were yeah, available and he for could. the taking? Yeah. He went on a spree, letting out some energy after being in a boat for seven days. I don't know that I can say that I would do that when I stepped onto land for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but to each their own. Yeah, and being able to eat on the island was a big deal because it was the first hot meal they had in days. They had been running out of food. Obviously, they didn't have the, those stores. Mm-hmm. And... One part of the document, the documentary said that on the lifeboats, they had been eating about one biscuit per day. There was a quote that said that they would look at it for breakfast, suck on it for lunch, (laughs) and then finally eat it for dinner. (laughs) It's rough. (laughs) The island they were on was not a route that shippers would pass. And in addition to this, it was not a spot that even whalers or sealers would frequent. So even though they were on land, they knew that they would have to leave the island. They weren't home free yet. That's rough. So they wanted to make for the island they started at, which was South Georgia, about 800 miles where they were, or from where they were. They did have a map and they had a sextant, so they had a way of navigating okay at this point they knew where they were 
they began to prepare for their trip. They took a 22-foot lifeboat for their journey. The carpenter on the journey, McNish, raised the sides of the boat. He strengthened the keel. He built a makeshift deck out of wood and canvas and then sealed the work with oil paint and seal blood. Gosh, he's a resourceful little bugger. He really is. It was his cat they had to lose, Miss Chippy. (laughs) (laughs) And presumably they used some of the gear from the other lifeboats to Mm -hmm. build up this one. Yeah. Shackleton picked five men to go to the journey to South Georgia. So he's leaving everyone else behind. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because they have food on the island. Yeah, they have a food source. They still have some of their gear. And Shackleton refused to pack supplies for more than four weeks. His reasoning is that if they didn't reach South Georgia within that time, they would probably be dead anyway. So. This is not sounding very hopeful. No, they left over 20 men on the island. And these five, as they're rowing, as these uh, lifeboats, they're rowboats, right? They're rowing through this rough ocean water. and They're becoming superficially frostbitten because of all the mist. Mm-hmm. And the waves would crash against the boat. And also the men would have to fight and bail to keep the boat afloat because some of the times the waves would come over and they'd have to bail the water out. The captain of the Endurance, whose name was Frank Worsley, worked navigation for the small crew. So out of the five, he was one chosen. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. He determined the direction that they were going upon the sun on the horizon. This was made difficult, however, due to the overcast conditions. Sometimes they couldn't see the sun at all. And in order to perform a sextant reading, two men would have to stabilize him from either side because the water was so rough and the lifeboat was very unsteady. Oh, my gosh. So he couldn't even stand still to get a reading. Kind of a miracle that they could figure out where they were going. Several of these men on the lifeboat are close to death. Shackleton would keep a pulse on the men, and if he noticed that one seemed particularly cold, he would order hot drinks to be made for all of them, as to not single out any one man. He was a good leader. Yeah, he was really looking out for people. It was miserable, though. And at one point in the journey, one man ripped off part of his upper lip on a metal cup. That's how cold it is. Uh, Ouch. Yeah. After their 17th day at sea, they made it onto the Bay of South Georgia. Unfortunately, the whaling stations lay on the opposite side of the island. They had a map in their possession, but it only showed the coastline of this island. So they had no idea what the interior of the island was like, but they could see that it was full of peaks and glaciers. Oh, no. Right. So at this point, they knew that they couldn't do any, that the craft itself wasn't going to be able to go any farther. And these men, a lot of them, well, out of the five, they weren't in really good shape for much more of a journey. They weren't going over peaks and glaciers, (laughs) is what you're saying? Well, they were going to. (laughs) Okay, well, not all of them went. It was Shackleton and Worsley, the captain, who continued on. 
So the whaling stations are on the other side of the island. Yeah. How far away? Well, I'll tell you how far they walked in a minute. Okay. The survivors only had their boots and they had pushed screws in them to act as climbing boots. Mm -hmm. They had a carpenter's adze, which is kind of like a combination of an axe and a hammer. Okay. And 50 feet of rope. What more could you ask for as a mountaineer? Yeah. <laughs> covered. That's perfect. I mean, come on. Yeah, and apparently this is, had never been done. There's speculation that there were some Norwegian skiers who had done it, but on skis. But otherwise, it wasn't documented that anybody had gone over this island like this. Shackleton traveled 32 miles or 51 kilometers over extremely dangerous mountain terrain for over 36 hours to reach the whaling station. Wow. And they would come to the summit of some of these peaks and realize that they couldn't descend from where they were because of cliffs below. So they would come up and then have to go back down and come back up. And so it was really quite a process. That's crazy. They had to go through all of that before stumbling into civilization on May 20th. Shackleton immediately set out a boat to pick up the three men from the other side of South Georgia, while he set to work to organize the rescue attempts of the Elephant Island men. His first three attempts to get to the rest of his crew were foiled by sea ice, which blocked the approaches to the island. They just cannot yeah. catch a break. No, and so all these men are waiting and waiting and waiting. Three attempts, that's a lot. He appealed to the Chilean government, and they sent a boat called Yelko, which is a seagoing tug from their navy. And so they finally reached the island on the 30th of August, 1916. Let's see, that's a long time because they, Shackleton, finally got to civilization on May 20th. So these men were waiting on Elephant Island for months. At least they had some seal to eat. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Seal and penguin. The men by that time had given up on him. They had built a small hut together on the island. But then at the end of August, as the rescues finally come upon the island, they were overjoyed to see that all of the men had survived. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And none of them killed each They didn't kill each other. That's even more remarkable. <laughs> the men came back and the world is at war. There was speculation. Some people thought they were cowards who had managed to avoid two years of the war. They were just lucky to be alive. Oh, yeah. So they didn't have the warmest welcome necessarily. They were at war with... Uh, the elements. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A lot of the men joined the war upon return, and they probably got trench foot like your people from last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, talk about leaving one disaster and heading to another. It's a rough time. I can't believe it. So out of all of the people that went on this trip, none of them died? None of them died. That is crazy. Apparently three of them died in war. One guy was sent out and died within three months. So can you imagine going through all of that only to come back and die in war? That would not be what I would sign up for, but times were different, I guess, then. Yeah. Well, I almost would take war over being isolated for years in Antarctica. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They're bad in different ways. Yeah. While Shackleton left for another Southern expedition in 1921 with some of the original endurance crew, including the captain Worsley. This time there was no set goal of the expedition. Rather, it was an expedition of exploration for exploration's sake. This time when they reached Southern Georgia, Shackleton died of a heart attack. What? Yeah, he was only 47, and he was buried on the island. That's where he would have wanted to be buried, probably. I know. This is another one of those cases where after two years of being stranded, you're like, you know, I'd like to go back. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it gets into your blood. Yeah. You can't shake it. Yeah. Maybe you spend so much time thinking about those experiences that you have to actually see it again to wrap your mind around it. It's interesting for sure. I won't be going. (laughs) No Antarctica trips for Tessa. Not in that regard. (laughs) Not on a boat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the story. Well, thanks for sharing that because I've wanted to hear that story for a really long time, but I just haven't gone around to it yet. Yeah. There's a bunch of information about this guys. And like we said, several books, several documentaries. So there's definitely more information, but just to condense it, that's the gist of it. Well, thanks for condensing it for me. Yeah. And if you want to go listen to Liam Neeson, talk about it, check it out on the YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That lovely timber. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hope you guys enjoyed and have a wonderful week. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Stay alive until next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.